0: hello i'm kevin fernando a gp partner at north berwick health center near edinburgh and education director of gp notebook education welcome to our new gp notebook podcast a bite-sized regular chat for all of us working in primary care podcast will cover clinical tips and hacks as well as hot topics to help make our lives a wee bit easier, but ultimately to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. Today, we will be discussing the appropriate use and importantly, the safety profile of the SGLT2 inhibitors, an increasingly prescribed class of diabetes therapy with many compelling advantages, but of course, which have to be balanced against any potential adverse effects or harms. Now, the front cover of The Lancet, published during January 2019, had a big, bold title suggesting that after publication of a recent meta-analysis exploring the effects of this class of drug, that SGLT2 inhibitors should now be considered as first-line therapy after metformin in most people with type 2 diabetes. So a big, bold statement indeed. So why has the Lancet said this? What are the advantages of the SGLT2 inhibitors? And once again, importantly, what is the safety profile of the SGLT2 inhibitors? Now we have four SGLT2 inhibitors available in the UK. Canagliflozin, Dapagliflozin, Empagliflozin, and the new kid on the block is Ertugliflozin. Now, importantly, SGLT2 inhibitors or sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitors work in an entirely insulin-independent mode of action. They work through the kidneys to inhibit the renal reabsorption of glucose. So your SGLT2 transporter is found in your proximal tubules in the kidney and is responsible for the reabsorption of glucose from the urine back into the circulation. So you can imagine then, if you give a drug that blocks this transporter, instead of reabsorbing the glucose, you're passing it out in the urine. So that's how it exerts its glucose-lowering effect. Now, depending on which SGLT2 inhibitor you use, you're passing uh, out around about up to 100 grams of glucose a day. Now, this has a calorific value attached to it, so around about three to 400 calories uh, you're passing out uh, every day. So with time, this class of drug can actually help weight reduction. Now the sodium uh, glucose co-transporter tells us that there's also some sodium reabsorption via this uh, transporter. So by blocking this transporter, you get a small amount of sodium um, diuresis too. So it does actually have a small but significant impact on blood pressure reduction as well. So Glucose lowering, weight loss, blood pressure reduction sounds almost too good to be true, and it is too good to be true. There are side effects we do need to balance these advantages against, and I'll talk about those just shortly. Now, overall, SGLT2 inhibitors carry a low risk of hypoglycemia when uh, uh, prescribed uh, alone. However, of course, if you add them on to a, a sulfonylurea or to insulin, then, of course, that background risk of hypoglycemia is higher. Now, as you'll hear shortly, SGLT2 inhibitors are increasingly prescribed because of their proven cardiovascular and renal benefits. And this certainly increasingly looks like a class effect. However, importantly all currently available SGLT2 inhibitors in the UK can only be initiated if EGFR is above 60. Okay, it's a very important point for us all in primary care. Now, there is some limited use if EGFR subsequently falls below 60, and here I would refer you to my GP notebook shortcut on the management of hyperglycemia in those with diabetes and kidney disease, which takes you through the dosing uh, guidance for the four currently available SGLT2 inhibitors in the UK. That's available at www.gpnotebookeducation.com forward slash shortcuts. SGLT2 inhibitors can be used as monotherapy, but most commonly uh, in combination therapy alongside other oral drugs, but also GLP-1s and basal insulin as well. So what are the side effects of the SGLT2 inhibitors? Well, the best way to look at the side effects of SGLT2 inhibitors is that they're very similar to the signs and symptoms of type 2 diabetes itself. So because of that glycosuria, by far the commonest side effect encountered are mycotic genital infections. So thrush-like infections in women, balanitis-type infections in men. So it's important to counsel um, men and women about this, encourage good fluid intake and good personal hygiene. If if this side effect does occur, it's just treated in the usual manner, maybe some clotrimazole um, for thrush-like infection, and it tends not to recur. UTIs originally were thought to be an issue, but actually this hasn't really uh, been seen to be an issue with ongoing clinical use. That said, we should once again counsel individuals about adequate fluid intake. Individuals might also experience other osmotic type symptoms, thirst, polyuria, lightheadedness and fatigue. Volume depletion or even clinical dehydration can also occur. So please do again reinforce adequate hydration. Anyone on an SGLT2 inhibitor should be drinking at least two to two and a half liters a day and again reinforce the importance of good personal hygiene. Now, reassuringly, there appears to be no signal for AKI, acute kidney injury. Uh, Indeed, quite the opposite. More recent literature suggests a protective effect uh, against AKI with the SGLT2 inhibitors. So what are these compelling cardiovascular and renal benefits? I'll just give you some quick top-line messages here. Well, the first SGLT2 inhibitor cardiovascular safety trial uh, was EMPEREG Outcome, exploring the use of empagliflozin, and this found significant reductions in major adverse cardiovascular events and, interestingly, hospitalization for heart failure with empagliflozin in a high cardiovascular risk population. So pretty much everyone in that trial had established cardiovascular disease. And these benefits were mainly driven by improvements in cardiovascular mortality, uh, and also we saw improvements in all-cause mortality too. The CANVAS trial program explored the use of the SGLT2 inhibitor canagliflozin and also found significant reductions in major adverse cardiovascular events and also hospitalization for heart failure. More recently, Declare Timmy 58 looked at the use of dapagliflozin and again found significant reductions in this co-primary endpoint of the trial of cardiovascular mortality and hospitalization for heart failure with dapagliflozin. And then earlier during June 2019, we had publication of the CREDENCE trial, again looking at the SGLT2 inhibitor canagliflozin. But in contrast to those previous three trials I've mentioned briefly there, this was actually a dedicated renal outcome study for an SGLT2 inhibitor. And very interestingly, this study found significant reductions in end-stage renal disease, doubling of serum creatinine, or renal or cardiovascular death with canagliflozin. So very exciting uh, uh, trial results, uh, significant implications for the management of people living with type 2 diabetes, particularly type 2 diabetes with cardiovascular disease or chronic kidney disease. And very recently, during 2019, we had publication of the DAPA-HF trial. Now, interestingly, this was a heart failure outcomes trial uh, using dapa but interestingly, in those with and without type 2 diabetes. Uh, and this was presented at one of the cardiology conferences during September 2019. And this found significant reduction in worsening heart failure events or cardiovascular death with dapa And has really excited many of our cardiologists. Colleagues. We await during 2020 vertex CV. This is the ertoglyphlosin trial um, again in a high cardiovascular risk population. Um, and I very much expect this to mirror um, the compelling results we've seen in these other trials I've mentioned to you. So whilst we await, an updated nice uh, diabetes guideline probably early 2021, um, at the earliest to be honest, Um, in in the absence of that, what other guidelines can we look at? Well, I I can proudly say in Scotland we've updated our SIGN Diabetes Guidelines, SIGN 154, uh, and some useful key take-home messages. Signs specifically tell us in individuals with type 2 diabetes and coexisting cardiovascular disease, we should consider the use of either an SGLT2 inhibitor or GLP-1 receptor agonist with proven cardiovascular benefit. So at time of publication, that was empagliflozin and canagliflozin, but now also includes dapagliflozin, And for the GLP-1s, at the time of the publication, that was liraglutide, but now that includes liraglutide, semaglutide, and dulaglutide too. So a great idea for a quality improvement activity for us all in primary care. Have a look at your register of individuals with type 2 diabetes and coexisting cardiovascular disease, be it ischemic heart disease or stroke disease or peripheral vascular disease, uh, and have a conversation about adding in or switching in a cardioprotective medication. But as I've told you already, no drug class is perfect. We need to balance the benefits against harm. So I wanted to quickly take you through three key safety updates about the SGLT2 inhibitor class of drugs. The first issue was this issue of a lower limb amputation. The CANVAS trial program, which looked at canagliflozin, which I briefly took you through, showed these compelling cardiovascular benefits, but also showed a small but significant increase in lower limb amputations, predominantly toe amputations with canagliflozin compared to placebo. An increase from 3 per 1,000 patient years to approximately 7 per 1,000 patient years. So a a rare side effect. Subsequently to this, the EMA, uh, the European Medicines uh, Authority, called for a review of all SGLT2 inhibitors, and we had an MHRA drug safety alert published during March 2017. And this, again, warned us about this possible increased risk of lower limb amputation, mainly toes, uh, with canagliflozin, but warned us that this risk may well be a class effect. And again, uh, re- reminded us that preventative foot care is important for all patients with diabetes, uh, particularly those on an SGLT2 inhibitor. So how do we make sense of this in primary care? Well, interestingly, we've had some unblinded data from that Vertis-CV trial, the Ertogliflozin trial i briefly mentioned to you, that also has shown a small increase in lower limb amputation, again, mainly toes. Now, we, we are talking small numbers here. We do await the full results. But to me, this does highlight that this issue may well be a class effect. So what do I do in primary care? Well, I reinforce the importance of preventative foot care to all individuals, of course, with diabetes, but particularly those on SGLT2 inhibitors, and ask them to be alert to the signs and symptoms of peripheral vascular disease but I would suggest we avoid all SGLT2 inhibitors in those with symptomatic peripheral vascular disease or a history of active or past diabetic foot disease uh, until we have some clearer guidance. The second drug safety update uh, was on this issue of diabetic ketoacidosis, which some of you will be familiar with. We had an MHRA alert about this published during Uh, 2016. And again, it does remind us it's a rare adverse effect between one in a thousand and one in 10,000. The challenge for us though in primary care is that the DKA we see with SGLT2 inhibitors is a euglycemic DKA. So sugar levels, glucose levels are normal or near normal. And that's because that individual is passing out that extra glucose in the urine. So how do we make sense of this then in primary care? Well, we need to warn individuals taking SGLT2 inhibitors about the symptoms and signs of DKA, which is a challenge in itself, isn't it? Because it's quite nonspecific, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, malaise, fatigue. And if we do suspect DKA, if we see someone in duty surgery, non-specifically unwell on an SGLT2, we need Check blood glucose levels, but importantly, the MHRA reminds us we need to test for ketones even if blood glucose levels are normal or near normal because of the euglycemic nature of the DKA. Ideally, we should be using blood ketone testing strips, but if not available, urinary ketone testing strips are fine. Now, importantly, and this has been a source of confusion for us in primary care, there's no need to issue ketone testing strips to those individuals on SGLT2 inhibitors. We, of course, need to have access to them in our individual clinical areas, but no need to prescribe them. So very much then we need to reinforce sick day guidance for those taking SGLT2 inhibitors. We need to remind individuals to temporarily stop their SGLT2 inhibitor during any acute dehydrating illness such as diarrhea and vomiting. And a useful mnemonic here uh, to remind us about sick day guidance is SADMAN. Temporarily stop the SADMAN drugs. Stop the the SGLT2 inhibitors. A for ACE inhibitors. D for diuretics, M for metformin, A for ARBs, and N for non-steroidals, uh, during any acute dehydrating illness. But importantly, we must remind patients to restart these drugs once they're eating and drinking normally, usually about 24 to 48 hours later. Because if my patients are anything like yours, they see it as a carte blanche never to take their drugs ever again. So temporarily stop the sad man drugs, but restart them once they're eating and drinking normally. And the final uh, drug safety alert I wanted to quickly take you through was this issue of Fournier's gangrene or necrotizing fasciitis of the genitalia or perineum. We had a MHRA alert uh, published during February 2019 warning us of uh, reports of Fournier's gangrene associated with SGLT2 inhibitors. Now, we have to put this in perspective because MHRA do tell us there were only six yellow card reports in nearly 550,000 patient years of treatment. So we do need to put this into context. It is extremely rare. And furthermore, in the DECLARE-TIMI trial, the the cardiovascular safety trial for dapagliflozin, it specifically looked for cases of Furnier's gangrene, and it found no significant imbalance uh, in in cases of Furnier's gangrene between the dapagliflozin arm of the trial and the placebo arm. So I'm not particularly worried about this. That said, we do have this MHRA alert. I don't specifically mention to these patients. If I do, none of my patients would take this class of drug. But what I do tell them, consistent with what the MHRA tells me, is that we should tell individuals to seek urgent medical attention if they experience any severe pain, tenderness, erythema, or swelling in the genital or perineal area, especially if accompanied by systemic upset. So once again, reinforce the importance of good personal hygiene. So as you can see, uh, a very interesting class of drug of some very compelling advantages, glucose lowering, uh, weight reduction, blood pressure pressure reduction, but also cardiovascular and renal benefits too. But as always, we need to balance these benefits against any potential harms. The best way to look at the side effects of SGLT2 inhibitors is uh, they're very similar to the signs and symptoms of type 2 diabetes itself. And then those three key drug safety alerts from the MHRA I took you through uh, very quickly. Um, First of all, the issue about lower limb amputation, particularly toe amputation. Secondly, the diabetic ketoacidosis. And then lastly, the phonia's gangrene. So thank you for listening all. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcasts, which are available on all major platforms. Get in touch via social media if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts. Also consider attending one of our GP Notebook Diabetes Clinics, aimed at all HCPs in primary care, looking after people living with diabetes. Course content will use multiple case studies to cover the latest clinical guidance, research, and hot topics to help us help those living with diabetes. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to notch up some CPD points, register for our GP Notebook Clinic 2020 events, and download free resources and shortcuts to make our lives a wee bit easier, but ultimately to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care.